what builds mental toughness is confidence. It's doing the hard workouts. We're talking about practice, man. Week after week, effectively, and using those hard workouts to train. In here with Jesse Diggins after the sprint showdown at West Yellowstone. How was it out there? It is time for us to showdown. Do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Showdown, showdown. Yeah, we're gonna have to work hard. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to train hard. But you know, this, this group has got a has got a gnarly work ethic. Do you understand? Both the focus, the mental aspect, and the physiological aspect. Do you understand? Hi, I'm Rosie Frankowski. The skis were so fast, I barely knew what to do with them. I'm sorry, we are good race. Uh, skis have worked amazingly. First of all, skis need wax. Do you understand? I also think it's pointless for a human to paint scenes of nature when they could just go outside and stand in it. I'm sorry, we are thinking about today. Get some facts and come back and see. We're supposed to talk about all expenditures, Lloyd. We are on a very tight budget. I'm sorry, we are thinking about today. I had no choice but to send it off course into the snow, and then unfortunately, my teammate in the heat, I'm sorry, who was right behind me, sent it right off course with me and landed on top of me. Showdown, showdown. I'm sorry, we are thinking so about. We were just off the trail. I'm sorry. I think the more of these kind of discussions we have, the better. This didn't come out of our travel fund. Oh. No, I, I was able to raise 25 extra bucks before we left. Where did you get 25 extra bucks? I sold some stuff. To Billy and Forsey. The blind kid? <laughs> yeah. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Cedarquist. Here with a special pod today, we've got Johan Hugstrand of Ski Sense, the founder inventor of the power meters for poles product we had him on the show the first year of the cedar skier podcast we thought it would be a good idea to check back in and see what the developments are ski sends they've been working alongside the swedish ski team also some visma ski classics athletes as well so um he's gonna give us a or give you a little bit of an update of where they are at uh when it's gonna be in stores how long is it gonna be until you can just walk into gear west and take off the shelves, you know, the ski sense power meter and track your training. You know, if you're training without a power meter, you might be training blind. As uh, that's why that's why we put in the quote from Dumb and Dumber there at the very end. I think that's why. Anyway, isn't it Ajay? That's what that's what you were thinking. Anyway, if you're if you're new to this program. Go to cedarsgear.com. You can read about articles that we have written about this. Also, we have the the previous show. Again, that's from 2020. Not exactly sure if we have that up on our Anchor um, uh, playlist. Maybe we should get that up before we post that. We'll we'll get on that. But we did do an earlier show. I know it is on cedarsgear.com, so you can go there, search through the archives, and find our earlier episode with Ski Sons if you want to learn more about it. Basically, they started from a uh, bachelor's product, bachelor's science project at Chalmers University back in 2016. After three years of development, they've had 15 different prototypes. And this is coming right from the Ski Sons website. Uh, their technology been tested by over 150 skiers around Gothenburg, several institutes, the Swedish biathlon team, Swedish cross-country team, Dallas Sports Academic, Gothenburg University, Sports Tech, and Winter Sports Centrum. And uh, just a couple other things about the product. The Ski Sense, again, it's a power meter for cross-country skiing. Their mission is to apply sensor solutions for direct measurement of parameters governing physical motion. The Smart Ski Grip is our high-end product measuring propulsive pole power in cross-country skiing. 
The propulsive power is calculated using data from strain gauge sensors and IMUs integrated into the handle and transferred uh, to your cell phone or smartwatch for real-time feedback during skiing. Post-session analysis in our web-based user interface and third-party platform uh, are part of today's plan enables multi- Oh, platform today's plan enables multi-dimensional analysis of capacity and technique. For capacity and intensity analysis, we work with established metrics such as peak power, functional threshold power, and the power profile, all well-established in cycling. For technique analysis, we use the temporal variations of pole force and angle. These time series data include very detailed biomechanical information about the propulsive forces and is a unique fingerprint of each skier's technique. We collaborate with some of the world's most renowned researchers and have data set examples from athletes on different developmental level, helping us to pinpoint the most important technique factors. Even if you're someone who's not maybe convinced fully that power meters are necessary for training or that they're even the best um, thing for training, this is undeniable that this tool is beneficial for improving cross-country ski performance because of that last paragraph. I think that is something that's going to be um, very fascinating for those of you who are into technique, you are into um, maximizing your performance in that manner and, and learning about how, how really scientists can get better at conducting science when it comes to researching the sport of Nordic skiing. So I think, you know, nothing else. That was my takeaway from this conversation is that we have moved to another level of ability in terms of analyzing uh, data in regards to technique and finding out that unique fingerprint for each athlete. And also by doing that, determining um, what really are the most important technique factors. So I, without further ado, I'm going to bring you to our conversation that I had with Johan. Here it is. How is you? Is it great for you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, um, you know, winter's been slow here, but we have this, yeah. we're at 10,000 feet. So like where, where snow fell, it has, there's this stretch of like 5k road, totally packed. And it's been there. Old snow has been sitting there for 30 days. So my, my double oh, okay. polling fitness is good. Yeah, <laughs> Cause nice, I've been up there nice. just like back and forth. So yeah, we have yeah. some storms coming in and it'll be good, but yeah. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Uh, Actually, winter started really early in Sweden, in South Sweden. We have like 30 centimeters of snow outside. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's like seven or eight minus degrees, so. Jeez. Have you, are, now are you training for like, are you going to do Vasilope this year? Or do you kind of do one or two races every year? What's yeah. gonna... uh, Actually, I'm not, uh, I haven't competed in cross-country skiing for a long time. Um, my main sport is actually orienteering. I know you mentioned that before. Yeah. So, I, I so wasn't sure that's a uh, uh, main focus. And I try to have a quite high status uh, for that. But uh, now and then I go skiing. And I, of course, now when the conditions are so good, I love going skiing as well. So, yeah, I would imagine that helps you for that sport yeah. too. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> I was going to ask you a few questions personal at the end. So, we can, I can, you can elaborate ah, on okay. that a little more. <laughs> But yeah, maybe it, do you want to just give us a recap of what your product is exactly? Just if, I know I had you on my yeah. show before, but um, just kind of explain that how it works. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so SkiSense is uh, uh, is uh, developing a power meter for uh, cross country skiing, and um, it's uh, besides a power meter also a technical coach, digital technical coach. Uh, so there are like two sides we see in the. Uh, basic sites we see in the product more or less so uh, and it's uh, a smart ski grip uh, with the connected software uh, both on the phone devices and smart watch devices but also on the on a web service uh, okay so yeah. and where are you guys at at the development stage um what what have you what has kind of what have been the steps to get where you're at too? So maybe kind of where where you are and what you've done, yeah. you know, working to get there. Um, it started out like 2016 as a bachelor thesis at Chalmers University of Technology. It was my bachelor thesis, and uh, at that stage, it was just uh, getting some like findings of uh, where the optimal place is to start measuring and uh, what type of measures uh, do we need. Uh, and then it was about getting 
the device uh, like small enough uh, and getting it wi wireless, of course. Uh, and uh, to start uh, testing and uh, learning about the data. And then it was about getting into some design phase where it could fit like for tra regular training, uh, everyday training, uh, getting the weight down. And uh, at that stage, starting to build some type of uh, flow in the user interface. Uh, so the user could actually access the data and uh, understand some of it. Um, so that was like the early stages in uh, development, uh, more or less all time talking to skiers and also talking to academia, uh, previous research done in the field, uh, so on. Um, and the next step was to, uh, to shape the product to a more commercial lookalike. Uh, and that's uh, where we are today proving like the full concept of, uh, of the product, both hardware wise, like design and electro electronics and also software wise uh, and uh, the user flow. Uh, and also in, in addition, like uh, uh, getting the accuracy to a reasonable level as well. Uh, in the measurements, so like validation and proof of concept is uh, where we are at now, and uh, looking for. And at this stage, I'm working fully with uh, getting it uh, uh, ready for uh, larger volumes uh, uh, in production. Exciting. Yeah, for sure. All right, so are you at the point where it's the weight you want it to be? It's accurate, as accurate as uh, you know, sufficiently in that in those regards. I think we. Uh, it's uh, enough accurate to give uh, valuable data, uh, but we want to be, uh, we want to push that uh, a bit more, uh, sure. Is that, I think cycling, isn't it like a plus or minus 1.5 or plus or minus 2%, something like that? Like what's yeah, the yeah. figures for you guys? Uh, it's uh, around uh, three to 5% in the force measurements uh, okay. at the moment. So cost is always probably a challenge, I'm sure, especially when you went starting in 2016 through like yeah. a great idea, whatever. Can you give us more details though, as you've progressed, what yeah, yeah. that looked like where, oh, this is the product we want, <laughs> but now it's like way too expensive. How did you kind of, um, yeah, give it, give us some more details about that. Like what, what those, yeah. how much it would have been. And then as you yeah, went yeah. smaller, how that changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, we, we started on a quite cost-efficient level, more or less, uh, using uh, a lot of off-the-shelf electronics and uh, like uh, ready-to-use things and uh, started off with that and uh, tried to build something cost-efficient. Uh, of course, it's always possible to like develop your own force sensor or whatever. That will be a huge cost uh, to do. Um, but uh, yeah, like always having in mind that it should be a product for the large mass of uh, cross-country skiers. Uh, that's uh, to summarize it best way, I think. So can you say when you had the first ski sense power meter, how much did that cost to make and what is it now per, or what will it be you think when you roll it out? <laughs> what's the difference uh, or can't you say that <laughs> i i mean most of the cost is actually man hours put into the project in development uh, okay okay so those were those are a lot <laughs> yeah yeah uh, actually so i think that's uh, that summarizes the most uh, a lot of uh, hours put in learning and uh, tuning and learning and tuning uh, the Hardware itself, it's not that. Uh, yeah, I think I shouldn't comment it uh, well, too much. No, uh, that's fine. Actually, but but speaking to your team and your manners, who else has been helping you, and what are the what are kind of the skills that all the members of your team bring to the table? Because didn't you have one of your professors sort of guiding you as well? And 
he maybe was the one who emailed me out about the comparison about FTP yeah. and cycling too. But yeah, can you talk about the team that's been behind it? Uh, yeah, so we have uh, uh, one of my co-founders. He's a PhD in uh, electronics from Chalmers. So he's been uh, very, yeah, has the responsibility for the electronics and forming that. And also he's from Taiwan. So we have uh, had good uh, production channels uh, over there, uh, like uh, very fast uh, iterations to a new prototype. Um, then we had uh, have another person uh, being more responsible of the firmware and software part. Uh, and uh, me doing uh, mostly design and uh, managing the overall concept from a user perspective, uh, more or less. Uh, testing uh, a lot. And then uh, uh, my other colleague, Dan Schillenskjerna, he's the professor at Chalmers, or associate professor, I think he should be. And uh, he's uh, also into the electronics uh, hardware and uh, quality assurance more or less uh, insurance yeah um, i wasn't planning on asking this question but i was kind of curious now with the supply chain kind of crisis globally have you had to like wait up as parts arrive or how's that affected you if at all yeah of course it has affected both in uh, late deliveries and also electronics available on the market uh, we have a uh, needed to do some adjustments, of course, and we're yeah, looking for solutions in that way. Um, as well, maybe having lo more local uh, production and so on. I think yeah, a lot of uh, companies are looking for that now. Um, so a lot of uh, like hardware, software uh, competence in the team, but uh, I think the big, uh, like the, one of the key experiences is that we have the connection to the sport and we know what uh, type of measurements are reasonable and we can fit into the use perspective uh, in a better way since we were skiers and uh, runners and uh, cyclists uh, in the team. Yeah, Tom, talk about that a little bit more. You know, you said you're kind of the one main, mainly on design. Has there been a, maybe it's you, you know, the hot, the high level skier, skier or a pro team where you've kind of bounced ideas off and they've said, Hey, this is what we want it to be able to do. This is what it should be able to do. And this is what it needs to feel like. Can you kind of yeah. talk about that process a little bit? Yeah, I think we've, um, we've had a couple of different collaborations during the years and we also have now and uh, uh, the Wolfgang Pischler and the Swedish biathlon has been uh, crucial in this, uh, the early development and the, uh, Nowadays, we're working closely with the team Ramudden, uh, the long distance team. Mm. And uh, we have uh, some other teams and national teams uh, that we're discussing with and testing out uh, things, both, both testing for skis inside, but we reach a level where we actually can uh, be type of performance consultants for teams as well, going for a test day and uh, like benchmarking. Uh, um, benchmarking athletes uh, uh, with respect to the data. What would the difference be between biathlon, skate technique more primarily, and then the Visma guys doing double pole? The data, I'm sure, is a little bit different, actually, what they would want, whereas one is kind of looking maybe more at that kinetic, kinetics, yeah. and the other just kind of maybe straight power fitness. So how is that? Is that true, or what are the conversations been like? for the different needs yeah of course uh, there are difference um, both of them are very interested in uh, looking into the force data and how like uh, how the user uh, uses the po uh, force in the pole and uh, how it can uh, apply the yeah how the user applies po force on the pole more or less uh, and uh, between uh, skating and double polling, we have this uh, uh, direct uh, difference in uh, using the legs and uh, upper body. And uh, for the skating part, we've done like testing with on treadmill where you can calculate the total power from the treadmill and then we calculate the power from the upper body and then 
we just subtract it and we can see what the quote is between the upper and lower body. And if the user can like use the upper body as its uh, full uh, power and so on. Um, so that is uh, one thing working with and also looking into the data and uh, trying to uh, derive the different uh, to see on the data if it was uh, gear two or gear one or gear three uh, on the data, like uh, putting like a machine learning layer on top of it. Uh, so that are really interesting projects. Yeah, I would think that would coordinate now that we have those, I think the athletes are wearing those vests that can kind of tell which sub-technique they're using, you know, GPS data, but combining yeah. it with your data, I would think would be immensely interesting. I mean, we're getting to the point now where we know like every aspect that's happening to an athlete yeah, yeah, yeah. as they're yeah. skiing, which is unbelievable. Actually, have you thought that about, or is there work, or maybe it's another company and you're friends with them, someone who's kind of doing the whole power meter with inside of a boot or a ski then is that kind of the other thing that would someone would be trying to do have they done that maybe i'm like out of it <laughs> no i i haven't heard about anyone uh, having it uh, up running but i know tests have been carried out uh, both on skiing and running and uh, mm -hmm. i think we will come to a point where we as you say like integrate it all together uh, it would be super interesting of course wow. uh, i mean with the uh, that huge amount of uh, data, the challenge is to actually view what is uh, the key performance indicators and uh, what what are those. Uh, not looking at data that is uh, useless. Uh, yeah, should focus on the right type of data and the data that is uh, like giving the true value. Yeah, that and is that kind of why maybe you can explain to the layperson too, what's the difference between propulsive force and just force, I guess, you know, when we, we talk about power um, because yours, yours is measuring that. And, you know, how, I, I guess that I would think that kind of leads into that discussion of meaningful data. And that's a more meaningful piece of data for the skier, but. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, the like winning a cross country race is about uh, having the fastest time from A to B and uh, what makes you have a less time is more propulsion force. I mean, the force that drives you uh, in the direction of movement, uh, more or less. And if you have a lot of uh, force in the poles, but the poles have the wrong direction, then you won't get any further. Um, so working with the, uh, with the, Applying force in the right timing is like yeah, crucial. Uh, we see, but uh, there is not that easy that you can say that the full quote of uh, force applied should be in the in the direction of movement because then you will always have your poles leaning on the ground more or less. Yeah, so right. there is this like very nice uh, kinematic movement that you have. Uh, where you're like falling over the poles um, and a polling is like from 0.2 to 0.5 seconds so you don't have any time to actually activate the muscles to apply force when you're inside the, the polling movement so you so when you go really fast I mean activating the muscles from start of polling is like and then you're very fast becoming uh, like falling over the poles and you have the, the, uh, the correct uh, direction of the poles. Um, so I think that is, if you have that timing and falling over the poles in the right uh, timing, then you have like a super hit in your poles. But if you have wrong timing, you're maybe applying the force a little bit too early, then uh, you will lose on it, of course. So really what needs to happen is once you've got your product developed and maybe have done this is we need to see kind of self-select who has the fastest double polling technique and perhaps the best technique. Let's look at his power data. When is he, what is the, when is the uh, point of peak force? Where is that yeah. happening within the cycle? Yeah. Because it's like yeah. you said, 
propulsive force is valuable, but it's not as like we don't have our ski poles at the angle no. parallel with the ground. But no, no, no. it is really a fascinating technique, the double pole. Yeah. It seems like we're in the wild west of people pioneering it. Um, but yeah, it's like, I'm sure that's maybe in your mind thinking, okay, here's helpful data, but it's not to say that the fastest skier will necessarily have the highest propulsive force no. even, right? Like, cause their no. technique, it, it's a timing thing as well. And engagement, yeah. the whole body movement. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, uh, what we see now is that, uh, some, I, I mean, the synchronization between the upper body and your, uh, hands is like uh, very crucial if you plant your hands before your upper body has started the movement then you will plant it and then you will like lose force for a time and then when your upper body brings force again to the pose and then you've lost uh, some timing to the peak force um, we have some uh, athletes testing they have like 0 0.05 seconds to the max force which is like activating super fast and it's okay. uh, uh yeah it's really cool and then we have some 0.2 seconds to max force they are they have some some skills to work on uh, so what have been the takeaways i know you know i've i have some listeners who are oh God, getting into the double pole thing and it's like we're, we always have discussions about what makes a good double bowler but what have been yeah. some data things things you've noticed anecdotal research legitimate scientific journal research what what are some new novel ideas or yeah observations you've made uh, this is one thing uh, of course like the time to max force how uh, how it differs and how you can work with it and uh, uh, by talking to the skiers coach we also get a feeling for i mean we can uh, get the feeling from the coaches the coaches have some usually have some feeling of a uh, that athlete's uh, skiing technique, uh, if it's like uh, squared or very slimmed or smooth. And uh, uh, by that, we start to correlate these measurements uh, to see something good. But for sure, time to max force is uh, really interesting. And also, like the, the other side of the slope, the last third of the polling, um, if you can sustain uh, high force in the pole, there then you have your poles in the right direction and you can like drive through the polling uh, not just having one impulse and then a losing force uh, it's uh, also one if uh, you worked with like someone with film video kind of as well to sort of you know see this it seems like that would be an interesting thing as yeah. I, I know you know there's some of the Swedish I think it's you know, Holmberg, maybe Stoggle, some of these researchers that I've kind of followed in my double pole building yeah. my thesis. Are you connected with them or others who have been like very fascinated by this tool and sort of tried to help you maximize it with the biomechanics side at all? Or, or what are some thoughts that you can speak to about that? Yeah, we have uh, done some projects together with uh, Academia. We had uh, Stefan Lindinger in Gothenburg. Um, okay we did some uh, projects uh, but uh, for sure it can be done more um, and uh, it has been done something but this uh, this tool uh, allows uh, measurements to be done in the field to a higher extent as well um, which is really interesting uh, is the is the work used done with coaches kind of mostly been around what you just talked about there with um, time to force things such as that or has there been some other things that you've done yeah but uh, yeah we try to like uh, look at these parameters and how they develop uh, in different uh, slopes and uh, different speeds um, uh, it, it uh, looks very different if you go slow or if you go fast uh, we looked some uh, into some standard deviation of the of like tempo links as well and seeing how robust and uh, repetitive pollings uh, the user has. Uh, and then uh, we'll be looking into pacing strategies and uh, like pacing over uh, intervals and so on, like looking into more power uh, measurements and learning about that. Um, especially with uh, Tim Ramudden and Matthias Reck. He's a professional cycling uh, trainer for Trexega Fredo. 
to the France team and uh, is trainer of Team Ramudden as well with Max Novak and Lina Korsgren. And uh, together with them, we developed these methods and uh, learn about power measurements for constraints skiing. Uh, oh, talk more about that. What is what has been the comments there? You know, cycling and skiing, especially how they use power. What what have those conversations been like with him? Yeah, but it's. Uh, I think uh, both my colleague and Matthias know knows these things better. But uh, one large uh, difference is that in cycling you have gears, so you can use the same type of cadence all the time. Uh, but in skiing, you have to adjust also with impulse. There's like a balance between impulse and uh, frequency. Uh, and some users use uh, high frequency with low impulse and some uses high impulse with low frequency and it uh, results in the same uh, power output. Mm-hmm. Okay. Total, um, uh, well, okay. So wait, if you have a high frequency, a high cadence, wouldn't you have lower power per polling though? Yeah. You have. Okay. But on average, in 10 minutes, you can have the same uh, average output uh, force. Yeah. So it's like two characteristics of uh, skiers. Uh, And uh, sometimes, like, you can change during a race. What happens when you get tired? Uh, Can you sustain with high frequency or do you... Yeah, what happens uh, there? Because I would imagine with the frequency in cycling, isn't it, you know, as they shift to a higher cadence, you're putting more strain on that aerobic engine versus the musculoskeletal, I, I think, yeah, right? Yeah. And so is that kind of yeah. the same thing with skiing where if you're going to have a low cadence, every every impulse is going to be a higher power output. Well, at some point in the yeah. race, you might need to shift to your aerobic yeah. energy source. Is that kind of what you're speaking to a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So Max Novak, those guys, we, I've been hearing a lot about his, he had a great summer, like was ripping yeah. out the roller skate. Um, I'm curious, are they sort of, oh man, I don't want to add any weight here to my pole, like, you know, really fine margins, or are they very satisfied and really looking forward to <clears throat> using this even in the Visma ski classic season? Like mm. where are they at in those conversations with with like I think, yeah. I mean, we ever had very good feedback from them. Some think it's, uh, I mean, they are different uh, than the usual, but some, like Herman Pau said, like, oh, they feel great. They are a little bit larger and it feels more stable to pull with. Super. Uh, of course, they add some extra weight and it's not ready for racing, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, we've done like both fast and long and uh, uh, trainings together with them and uh, mostly positive. You say larger, talk about the design then. Is this like <clears> you <throat> you make the whole handle? Um, so if I have Swix poles, I would take yeah. off my cork handle, put yours yeah. right on. It's that, that's yes. the design of it, right? Okay. That's the design, sure. Uh, are you the one who's designed the handle grip? That That's something I'm shocked actually is so different between the pole companies that can make a huge yeah. difference, especially with double pull, whether it's, I actually kind of prefer the wider ones. Maybe I would like your, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, cause I sure. think there is yeah. some stability there where your grip yeah. and your forearm muscles, yeah. but, but how yeah. did you develop, how did you develop your handles to be the way that you think is efficient for it? And yeah, been, we had to like two things. We wanted to have, have a, as small as possible uh, outside dimension. Uh, we knew it's going to be larger. We tried to keep it very small. Keep it very small, and then we have to take uh, in consideration the inside of it. They like the fitting the electronics in the cavities, and uh, yeah, how uh, how could we uh, combine those two um, uh, criteria more or less uh, to a to a okay looking handle, like uh, sure, like uh, trying to have it uh, yeah, quite okay. I mean enough uh, enough dimension below the strip and uh, like having a strip and uh, yeah so I, I think there's there's like untapped potential in the ergonomic side of a lot of ski pole parts still you know you see yeah. in running um the, the shoe r&d is really i don't know like robust at places like nike um yeah. 
and and I'm I, it's it's it is kind of amazing. I have a pair of triacs. I have U.S. ski pole company poles. All the you know, it's like people who are just folks out making poles, and it's be like, how do they not? I don't like this. This this grip is terrible. You know, the strap is just like off. It's also yeah, it's yeah. like how how did this get through R and D or whatever? So it's kind yeah, of fascinating yeah. how like you know you it's have a your product thousands of different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just so much that could go into it, and and you're focused more on obviously the power meter side of it, and yeah. yet it's gotta, you gotta have this component too. Cause if, if the handle isn't comfortable, right. And people aren't going to, um, when we come back, we will interrogate Johan and find out when this is actually going to get on the shelves. There's your teaser. Stay with us. Shovel Lake public radio, cedarscare.com, cedarscare podcast, visit cedarscare.com for all of our past episodes and more. This episode of the Cedar Skier Podcast is brought to you by the United States Ski Pole Company. At the United States Ski Pole Company, we are focused on quality, comfort, and performance over price. If you expect the best, we are here to deliver. 100% satisfaction is guaranteed with all of our Nordic skiing products. We don't just make ski poles, we make ski poles you'll enjoy skiing with year after year. The U.S. Ski Pole Company is a small family business in northern Michigan. It was founded by retired Nordic skier and author of Wild Shot, Andy Liebner. And if, you, by the way, as an author, well, uh, hoping to be author, okay, uh, that is one of the greatest Nordic ski books ever. Pure adventure, pure determination, pure guts. It's awesome. You should definitely pick it up and read it. Go to USP, uh, USSPC.com to check that out, as well as their ski poles, and there's accessories, too. Um, I used the United States Ski Pole Company poles in all of my double pole efforts this year, and they worked out really well. Uh, I was fortunate to be victorious in the Crested Boot Alley Loop 42K, the Leadville Loppet 44K. Oh, good for you! As well as the Pepsi Challenge 50K oh. and the Snow Mountain Ranch 50K. Oh, um, good They're awesome for poles. You. I use them every day in training, all the time in the summer. Uh, U.S. Ski Pole Company is awesome. So if you are interested, you can reach out to me. Email me at cedarskier at gmail.com if you want more information and are looking to purchase some poles. All sorts of stuff there. Uh, and and uh, I'd be, I would love to talk to you a little bit more about USSPC. And how appropriate that we have them sponsoring today's show when we're talking about power meters and poles and training. So let's get back to that conversation right now. Here it is, me and Johan chatting about um, ski poles and ski sense. So when, if cool. ever, is this going to be something you, you would buy, order online? Like how close do you think you're, you are to that point for just your citizen racer, person doing the Birkin, the Vassalopit, people in America? Is that realistic relatively soon? Uh, I, I can't say too much, uh, but uh, relatively soon, yes. Uh, we hope to have it uh, uh, on the market for uh, private persons. Uh, for sure uh, it's not this winter uh, what do you think or what has to kind of happen to for the, the green light to be there are there is it conversations testing decreasing the price still a little bit cost of all those things manufacturing or kind of combination of all of that yeah for sure i mean it it's like you're taking the proof of concept to a productional version uh, like uh, both in uh, software and hardware, uh, more or less. Um, and uh, partnering it up with the right type of partners in a, in a launch. And so you're, are you talking with multiple ski companies? What have those conversations, how have they gone or, or between you and, and Swix or Lecky or, or whomever? I mean, there is uh, a, a huge interest in uh, digital accessories. I mean, uh, smart, making things smart. And uh, um, there are a lot of companies seeing this as the next step, uh, more or less. And uh, uh, so there are potential uh, inside. And uh, we'll see what, uh, what can be the best uh, like partners for ski sense. Uh, it's not not yet uh, decided. What is the 
marketing strategy for you guys? You know, do you, do you anticipate as you get closer to that launch that you'll maybe be a part sponsor with a Visma Ski Classics team? Because uh, you're you're not doing that currently, right? I mean, you're kind of, you're working alongside some of them, but is that a discussion point too of how you want to kind of get out there? I mean, uh, it's very important for us to collaborate with this uh, team Ramudan uh, at first spot. Um, and that is sort of a sponsoring part and also like gathering knowledge uh, together. So it's like a win-win uh, of it. Uh, and that is uh, what we want to continue with. I mean, they're proving that uh, one of the best uh, long distance teams are using it and uh, finds value in the product is like a, the best marketing we can get. Uh, okay. So I'm going to shift gears just a little bit, kind of talk about you uh, too, to kind of wrap this up. What yep. is, first of all, actually maybe, maybe this will bridge the gap between your product too. What was the inspiration or where is the purpose like for you as you make this? Is there a deeper, oh, this is going to be my lasting legacy on the sport of cross-country skiing or uh-huh. endurance sports in general? Like what kind of motivates you to keep working on this? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot could be told from my background in uh, sports uh, for a long time. Uh, and uh, I have always been very crucial in like development and how to uh, break ice, like uh, new methods and uh, also not measuring for just measuring. I mean, measuring for something is really important. That is uh, uh, like like a very fluffy overall goal. And then uh, I see there is huge potential in the cross-country skiing to, to provide some type of these uh, tools. And uh, there is a very highly interesting technical solution into it. Uh, so like... Uh, Give you, like providing something to the sport is like uh, would be really cool uh, and uh, something that is uh, useful. Uh, so it's um, that fascination, the complexity of it, sort of the fascination, and you have still love a connection to the to the sport of skiing. Even yeah. the orienteering is kind of your main thing. Like, yeah. what? How do those two go along with you in your past and present? I, when I was uh, smaller, I mean junior, I was no problem to combine both uh, skiing in the winter and uh, orienteering in the summer. It was like super and uh, good endurance training. But uh, since I live in the southern of Sweden, uh, there is not that much snow usually. And uh, I choose orienteering, which also is a very like technical uh, There. Are, a lot of uh, dimensions, technical dimensions in the orienteering. It's not just running. I mean, it's combining running and thinking, I mean, map reading. Uh, right. And that is uh, something that we're doing in Skisen as well, like combining uh, different uh, data uh, for something and uh, like the sensor fusion side of it. And uh, yeah, that adds up, I think. Uh, so yeah, orienteering uh, is my main main hobby or main sport. All right, so are you prepping for uh, like a world's championship? Did you, did you compete in, in, in something like that for orienteering? I thought maybe you alluded to that before. Or what's kind of a yeah. kind of goal for you? This uh, these uh, two past years have been uh, quite low uh, in, uh, in my yeah, training low training years, but uh, before that, 2019, I was uh, in the European Championship and also some World Cup races around. Uh, uh, so that's, and I have some uh, medals from the Swedish champs as well. Uh, so that's uh, my previous status. I uh, ran two junior world championships as well, uh, like a junior. Uh, so I, I put a lot of time into orienteering. <laughs> I, I'm that's kind of interesting. I don't know as much and in America, you know, we follow like track and distance running a, a decent amount, but like those yeah. top and even trail running, 
So how fast, just to give me a perspective of like your actual just running ability, because I know the sport isn't just how fast you can run. Yeah. There's a lot more to it, but like, what would be your best running event? How fast could you do it? You know, is it a 10 K half marathon, marathon, uh, a mile, right? Everyone cares yeah. about how fast you can run a mile. No, no, no. Don't ask me about a mile. <laughs> yeah, but the 10 K, uh, for me, uh, map reading and uh, the technical part of orienteering has my strong has been my strong side. Uh, not the running uh, compared to some of my competitors. Uh, I've been doing uh, like low 32 minutes, 10K. Uh, That's still pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, but I have uh, friends doing uh, 28 on 10K uh, oh, orienteering. Wow. So like uh, they are competitive in running uh, for sure doing around 1.5 in the half marathon. That's crazy. And yet you're able yeah. to kind of take, you know, you could be right with them in the, in the orienteering. Oh my gosh. After that's like, that's like a mysterious sport. It's like, Oh, kind of like biathlon. Actually. Yeah. But I uh, you know I, there is also different on running on a, like this was asphalt or like on a track. I mean, sure. it's very different running on a track than running in the forest. And uh, right. I think uh, just comparing the running, I'm not that far behind in the forest on 10 K then on the track. Sure. Uh, so um, you slowly understand that there are a lot of dimensions uh, into it. And uh, yeah, uh, it's different sports. Well, you sound like a really busy guy with this. And I, I'm just fascinated by like the fact that your main sport isn't skiing, but your main work is totally related to skiing. I think yeah. that's that's really fascinating. A lot of people would be you know, at some point, if they're so driven and passionate, be like, okay, I don't really care that much about this because I'm not even a skier anyway. But you're not like that. Is that kind of because of the like cultural root connection in those Scandinavian countries where like skiing just matters or well, yeah. what, a little bit of that? <laughs> nah, I mean, the skiing has been a part of my life for a long time. And uh, I've been always uh, skiing a lot, been skiing a lot in the winter. Uh, but uh, when you ski a lot, like aiming for the Vasaloppet, you build a lot of muscles and you don't want to run with that extra weight. So sure. usually I haven't been, uh, I haven't never gone Vasaloppet. I've done the open track, open sport once uh, when I was 16. But um, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I th have a, a high interest in the skiing, uh, but uh, it's also part of the te technical uh, product i i have the like the uh, chance to work with the sports technology uh, combined and uh, i have to take that chance uh, it could have been some other sport as well maybe but uh, this is really cool that makes sense i i hear you there so if you are, yeah. is max novak trying to get you a a bib for some upcoming Vizmiski classic classes. <laughs> Are they trying to recruit you for like when you're done with when, you, when you're done with orienteering? Like no. you can join us. <laughs> it's amazing on that circuit, like the age range of athletes. So it's like maybe maybe your yeah. you know your fitness would come in. You, you could just hop in when you're done with the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> May, I I will go also not put once at least with a quite good training before uh, and good preparations. That is uh, has always been a long time goal for me uh, but uh, nowadays i try to stay quite fit in the skiing so i can go training with max novak for yeah. some hours and uh, just like product development uh, by a training session uh, that's my status for skiing <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool i hope i can someday get over there i mean i was yeah. gonna shut down everything but that's like <laughs> that long range goal is like i really want to try and like go over when when the Birkin race kicks off and then just do like yeah. those final four races or, or yeah, actually yeah. in the Voss Lopez before it. So do that one and then finish out yeah. the year. But yeah, you yeah, should, someday. you someday. should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you on. And do you have any other yeah. closing comments that uh, maybe we didn't touch on something, something I didn't ask or, or, you know, anything like that? No. It's like our status now preparing for the volumes and uh, doing this performance consultants uh, for teams. Uh, that is like the operational work at the moment. Uh, I think so. That is uh, overall. I think that should be fine.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Cedar Skier Podcast. A pleasure to have Johan. Um, hopefully someday I can fly over to Sweden, race the Voss a little bit, hang out with Johan, maybe get some power meters for my ski poles. We'll see. Um, ski Suds, you could check out his website if you want to learn a little bit more. We have it linked right from the cedarskier.com homepage. So go check that out, read more. There's a lot of studies out there. If you uh, really want to dork out, you can read about those too. So once again, this has been the Cedar Skier Podcast. Keep on skiing, keep on striving. Have you ever used spider attack while fishing? Um, I don't... I don't know. I, I, I don't know if... Uh... I don't know quite, I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I mean. different way than play the game Mm -hmm. and no matter the weather we can do it better you and me together forever and ever we don't have to worry about a thing about a thing Just the-